0: This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. I'm so excited well, welcome to our first den talks live everybody I know and who do we have and just so you all know it, there's a calendar in your seats we're going to be doing these once a month whether it's a speaker or a panel so make sure you can make your reservations um, but I could not be happier or more ecstatic that you are launching this series with us
1: thank you, you too, it understand.
0: means the world and I don't think she really needs an introduction but just in case you don't know who she is she is incredible. She has, for over 35 years now, been a spiritual guru, leader, teacher, writer, published over 12 books, seven which are bestsellers, four which made number one, which, let's be honest, is insane. You are a powerful force of nature. You, Your energy walks in the room with you every single time. You are loyal, you are kind, and you care. And that means a lot, and that's what I think makes you super special. So... We're also thankful. What's awesome for you guys and part of the reason we want to do this live is you're part of it. There's going to be a Q&A after, our, after she does her personal practice. There's always a personal practice, which will be a meditation led by Marianne. And so have your questions ready. So here we go. So I want to start with a story that I've never told you, and I'm sure half of you already know it, so I apologize, but you don't know it. And I have to give Ben Decker a little thanks for this, who actually made our original introduction. So thank you, Ben. Ben. Um, I when I was opening up the den and was like running around town and trying to you know meet teachers and convince people to like join this crazy idea and figure it out I realized one day I was struggling which is rare for me because I usually pretty much know who I am but I was struggling with these two parts of myself the business side which is what I came from and someone who just thinks of things that way and my spiritual side which was also very much part of who I was And I would meet these teachers, and I felt like I had to only show them my spiritual side because, God forbid, I showed an inkling of the business. They wouldn't trust me. They would feel like I didn't really know what this was all about, and I didn't actually care. And I remember actually really we were getting closer and closer to opening, and you walked in the door because you were going to host an event here, and I had just been thinking about this, and I mean, you walked in that door. It was like Marianne just walks in, energetic, and right away I was like, "Oh, this woman's never apologized for anything, and she is business, and she is spiritual, and she has been teaching us all how to be better people." And like, you didn't—you owned it, and you would have. To, we were sitting on these chairs; they just happened to be in the living room or a common area. And I remember staring at you one point while you were talking, and I just was like thank you. And I said it, because at that moment, it all came together for me. I was like, oh, I can do this. Both of these sides can simultaneously exist. That's who I am, and that's okay. And you gave me that permission, and you didn't even know you did it. So I want to start with a thank you to Marianne for that. That's true. Now oh, you did do something. But on that note, you are such a strong woman. I mean, it's incredible, and I'm sure your strength has gotten you so far. But I know from me too, where are moments where your strength or being strong has maybe gotten you in trouble?
1: I don't think being strong ever gets you in trouble. I think being forceful uh, can get you in trouble. But if you're forceful in a way that gets you in trouble, then in that moment it wasn't strength, it was weakness. Um, Sometimes your strength lies in your vulnerability, your tenderness, your kindness. You know, I think something, particularly women are working through. But it's true for all of us, no matter what gender, that life is not just about what you do, it's about how you do it. It's not just about what you say, it's about how you say it. That, that, that balance and that art form really of the being and the doing. It's hard enough figuring out what to do, but then knowing you have to be a certain kind of person to number one, really be able to discern what it is you're supposed to do, but also then to be able to do it with grace or whatever. I think for women there is a particular challenge because for centuries and longer, there was um, such an admonition against our expressing our strength or expressing our power. So then, like any formerly disempowered people, it's kind of like a a bathtub that hasn't been used for a long time. So when it first comes out, the water splatters and splurts and and it's brown and it takes a while before it's a clear stream. So for women who have been holding in, or any formerly disempowered group, you've been holding in this stuff for so long that then when it first comes out, it's ah, (laughs) right? Because you have a few hundred years of rage and of not being able to speak. So then the issue is, and I think a lot of us go through this, you wobble back and forth between eating your truth, not saying it, holding it in, or it out too much. So then the art form is that you get to a point where, no, I'm not going to hold it in, but I am responsible for my effect. Uh, You are not uh, the person who oppressed me 100 years ago. You're not the last boyfriend who disappointed me. You're not whatever... Uh, So I'm not going to hold it in. Uh, I'm going to speak my truth when it feels appropriate. And you deserve respect. um, And I'm responsible for my effect on you. So, uh, you know, I I look at life like building a lasagna. Uh, It takes about five years on the cheese, about five years on the noodles, about five years on the sauce. Somewhere in your 40s, you start to put it all together.
0: (laughs) That's so true. I'm in my 40s. It's finally making sense. Then
1: you know. I do know.
0: What do you feel like in being strong, though, I know so much, of course in miracles and just what you teach is a lot about surrender and you know, making the choice, like you were just saying, to act a certain way, but surrendering to a higher power to God. How do you reconcile strength? There's a quote actually that I love, let me find it here, that says, "Where are you? Faith isn't blind, it's visionary. He did a return to love. I love that line. And I love it because a lot of people would say, that people who follow or like have too much faith are like sheep. They're actually not thinking for themselves. So what is that balance of, because I do think that's amazing that it's not blind, it's visionary, but I think in today's society, one would actually judge that as following and not thinking for yourself.
1: Right, because we normally associate the word surrender with having lost the war. Spirituality is um, a realm in which surrender is the only victory because you are surrendering to something which is not outside you, which is inside you, which is your highest self. So that is your strength. That is your power. The ego mind is that which leads you to believe that your self-will is your power. Your self-will is your strength, but really it's your weakness. It's your self-hatred masquerading as your self-love. That's why so many times you make these big mistakes, and then later you realize, I thought it was a good idea at the time. Uh, you know, because few of us wake up in the morning. I don't think any of us have woken up in the morning and said, I'm going to self-sabotage today. I'm going to undermine everything. I'm going to say the one thing that will piss him off. You, know, you don't do that. You, at the time, you feel like, no, I have to say my truth, and I need to say it now. All these things that you think are your strength, and ra- later you realize was total self-betrayal. Yeah. So the fact that you, you know, and I think we have this whole concept of authenticity is so ridiculous. I authentically felt it. Well, you might have authentically felt it, but let's say it was your anger, your authentic self. No, it, your authentic self is your love. The fact that you didn't feel that, that that wasn't your authentic feeling in that moment, doesn't mean that that was uh, your authentic self. So I think we begin to realize that the you that you feel like when you just wake up in the morning and you're just sauntering out into the world, blah, 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 it's an illusion that that's your strength. The idea of you as a separate self and you're gonna figure out what to do and you're gonna go make it happen. And the higher consciousness community buys into some of that crap too. The idea I'm gonna go out and identify your goals and make it happen. I'll tell you who identified his goals and made it happen, Adolf Hitler. So the idea, anytime a cell breaks off from the collaborative matrix of working with other cells to serve something higher than yourself, you're in a malignant state. And that's malignant in the body, and it's a malignancy in consciousness, and that's what's happened to the human race. We have been infected by a malignant consciousness, which is this idea, it's all about me. And when you're in that state, it's a false sense of strength and I'm going to go out and I'm going to make it happen because I can do anything. Yeah, you probably can do anything. That, to know that you can do anything, you can make it happen, you can take the bull by the horns, which is suicidal, by the way, <laughs> is not the spiritual mountaintop. The spiritual mountaintop is use me. You know, there's an old uh, gospel song, send me. That is our strength. That is our power. You know, I always I see this, I used to see this slogan, um, God is my co-pilot. And I've always laughed at that one. If I'm in a plane and God's in the, in the cockpit with me, he can fly this right. thing. <laughs> so so there's a, it's kind of like in yoga. It's very much like in yoga. It's the strong muscles, but it's the relaxation within the strong muscles. It's the attitudinal equivalent of physical yoga. Because what it is, you want to have a strong muscle and you want to be relaxed within it because if you're not you're not flexible you're not pliable so it's the same you you build the strong muscle and then you relax within it but you want to have the correct position so what we do with our ego mind is we think well whatever move I feel like making is the correct position but yoga is such a good practice in teaching no the fact it's what you feel like doing in this moment is not necessarily the correct position so you practice learning the correct position, then you can relax. It's the same thing. So what Nature would, has the same rules on every
0: level. So what would you say the balance then is for surrendering and learning how to practice those things? And let's say the extreme of on one side could be laziness, like a spiritual community could be like, I'm waiting for God to send me the signal that I'm going to have a job. Or on the flip side, the person who... <laughs> does the opposite. It's like uses the muscle to, I have to go, go, go to make sure everything works. Like how do you find that balance of no, action and no action?
1: No serious spiritual practice tells anybody, just sit there and wait. That, that, no serious spiritual practice says that. Serious spiritual practice is knowing your job is to be the person God would have you be in order to do what God would have you do. Whether you have a job as the world defines it or not, you have the job of rising to the occasion in this moment. So you always have a job, and no job you will ever have is more important than being the you that you are capable of being. So that's number one. So you have the job, you are permanently employed. And the issue is, as we, when you meditate and you pray in the morning, which is why there, I've never known a serious spiritual path that does not uh, emphasize the morning, Because if you just wake up in the morning and you download from the world, especially today, if you just download through newspaper or computer the stress of the world, then you're you're set up for depression by noon. But if you wake up and you meditate first, you pray first, you do your, your practice first, then that includes some attitudinal perspective along the lines of, as the Course would say, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? May I be an instrument of peace today? May I be an instrument of love today? Wherever I go. Once you have a real mystic's understanding of the world, you know everyone you meet today is not an accident. Every circumstance is not an accident. Every relationship is an assignment. And you have a full-time job. You have a full-time job being who you could be with and for the person you're with. Now, within that space, you're in alignment with the natural order. Within the natural order, all things you need are automatically brought to you. As the Course of Miracles says, the Holy Spirit knows your rent. So if I'm doing what I just described, then if I need a job, my alertness to it, my openness to it, my willingness to work, my willingness to get a job, who knows? I might be talking to you and I know that my main job is just to be there, and we're having a conversation, and you're mentioning about something uh, or a project, and I might say, well, you know, actually, I, I do that. And you go, really? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I do. So what the cosmic understanding is, is the universe, if I need a job and I'm open and willing, the universe is already, it's right there. Everything you need is right here. But if I wasn't just present for you in that moment, I would have missed the fact that you brought up something I could do. A job was coming to me. So even when you say I'm waiting, yeah, you can wait, but you won't, even, you won't be perched to know it's there unless you show up with the person in front of you, which is your primary job.
0: I love that. And this leads perfectly because one of the things I really wanted to talk to you tonight is about prayer. What is the difference of prayer and meditation? Because they get interlinked. Somebody
1: said to me the other day, and it sounded right to me, he said, prayer is where you talk to God, Uh, meditation is where you listen. Um, I think that's a little simple and, you know, maybe too simple, but I know in A Course in Miracles there's actually a, a brochure about prayer, and it says, the highest level of prayer is not an entreaty of any kind. At the highest level of prayer... It's kind of like when you fall in love with someone or you're holding your baby. You don't want anything in that moment. You just want to be in that place. You just want to be in that place, that sweet spot. That is the highest prayer. So in terms of how we live our lives, for me, there's great power in the prayer, may God's will be done in any situation, because God is love and will is thought. So if I just go into a situation, may God's will be done, it's saying, may loving thought prevail in me, may loving thought prevail in you, may we see each other through the eyes of love. Miracles occur naturally as expressions of love, the Course says. So once you put yourself in that alignment, The same force that makes planets revolve around the sun, the same force that makes an embryo turn into a baby, the same force that makes a bud turn into a blossom, works through us when we are in alignment. The Course says it is your job to, you're on this earth to learn to think as God thinks. In any moment, what are you thinking that God would not be thinking? What would God be thinking that you are not thinking? Because where I am different than the acorn is that the acorn has there's a divine architecture within the acorn, just like for a house, you know, you walk into the architect says, where are the plants? The architect draws the plants and then the builder uh, builds according to the plants. Well, the acorn, there's the divine architecture of the oak tree, but the acorn doesn't have a free will in the matter. You and I have divine architecture, too, in the mind of God, natural intelligence, by which you become the woman you're capable of being, and I become the woman I'm capable of being. Okay, But where you and I differ from the acorn is you and I, in any given moment we choose to, can say no. (laughs) And that's that malignancy. And usually when you say no, like I said, you don't realize at the time, because we're taught a thought system that we're supposed to go out there and make it happen rather than allowing it to happen, which is not, you know, one of the things I love in the course is where it says my way is not difficult, but it is different. And that's a real, it's, a, it's an attitudinal shift, once again, going back to yoga. Because just like with yoga, it's, a, it's, a, it's not that you don't strengthen your muscles, you strengthen your muscles by learning the correct positions. It's the same thing. What is the correct position? Thinking about you rather than going on and on about myself. What's the correct position? Focusing on what you did right rather than focusing on what you did wrong. What's the correct position? Thinking about what's happening now rather than what happened yesterday. What's the correct position? Thinking about... Uh, what's happening now rather than what might happen in the future, what's the correct position, thinking what I might give rather than what I can get. It's the same thing, you're honing muscles. Then once you get your muscles strong, just like in yoga, then you can relax within that space. So you're strong, but you're at ease. It's the exact same, and it's both building muscles. One is building, uh, with yoga, it's building physical strength among other things, as well as attitudinal spiritual strength but so that we can move in the world with spiritual strength it's that gives you the power you're still in that moment because you know you're not trying to make you're not on the make you are you your only goal is correctness and then within that everything that needs to happen happens you're in a non-reactive state and automatically you you attract to yourself the forces, the people, the circumstances which aid the unfolding of your enlightenment and everybody else's and the self-actualization of the world.
0: So it takes But work. it's
1: different. It's a training. It's just like yoga. It's a different, you're training your muscles. You train your attitudinal muscles just like you train your physical.
0: Yeah, it takes work. It takes Yes, work. it
1: does. It takes practice.
0: So in what I think is amazing about all this, which you you know, you talk, you've just been saying it now, it's a choice of attitude surrender, leading with love, assuming someone's innocent versus guilty. You talk a lot about that too, which I love. But connecting it to prayer, what kind of blew my mind was, yes, these are choices and things we can work on every day. Like you were saying, practicing those muscles and hopefully they get easier so you can relax in the space. But it's twofold. It's what we do every day for every interaction or every moment or every meeting or every fight we have, whatever it is, but it's also how you communicate or pray, how you talk to God or the universe, whatever words make you comfortable. Um, that kind of blew my mind. You always say, don't ask for what you want to be different, but how you can see it differently. And I know that sounds so simple. And I am a person who always tries to see things from other people's perspective. But there was something about saying it that way in its simplicity of having a conversation with a higher being or yourself ultimately that changed it for some reason. It was almost taking two steps back versus being there and doing it, taking two steps back. And I find that's such an amazing concept that just in that conversation alone and how you present it and choosing your thoughts wisely will actually change what's happening for you.
1: Well, the Course in Miracles says that a miracle is a shift in perception. And we have been trained, thinking of the world, the Course says, is dominated by a thought system based on fear. So we have all been trained into a particular thought system. So the Course in Miracles says enlightenment is not a learning, but an unlearning. An unlearning of a thought system based on fear. So we have mental habits that are always in the direction of judgment the ego mind is like a scavenger dog, the Course says, always looking for any shred of evidence of our brother's guilt. So when you know this, you, you know not necessarily to trust yourself. This is why you pray in the morning. When I wake up in the morning and I do my meditation and I do my prayer and I remember that I'm only here to love and, dear God, use me, it's not because I'm some goody-goody. It's because I'm aware of what a neurotic mess I will be if I don't do that. And your mind, the Course in Miracles says... What does that
0: Marianne look like? Or,
1: the course, but this is very significant because the... Um, wait, I forgot what I was going to say there. Sorry, you were saying... Um, hold on, hold on. Let me catch this because it was important. Oh, the, the, the Course in Miracles says... You, uh, you are free to misuse your mind, but you cannot diminish the power of your mind. So that means all thought, the Course in Miracles says, creates form on some level. Every thought you think will have an effect. So once you realize how powerful you are, when you surrender your mind to God, it's a way of saying, May my mind be used in the service of love because the energy is going to go somewhere There's no such thing as a neutral thought and when your mind is given over to that which is not love That which is not light is dark that which is not love is fear But like I said, it doesn't it's your own intelligence So when you're off You don't know necessarily you're off because it's your own intelligence used against yourself and you're too smart to make it obvious to yourself that you're messing up.
0: Can that play into neuroses too? Like the fact that, can that also play into neuroses though? The fact that you know every thought is not neutral. So therefore everything you think has an effect. So whether it's positive or negative, and we have a lot of thoughts, like a lot of thoughts. So almost that is almost overwhelming too, where if you feel like a, a negative thought for a second even comes up. Are you just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, no?
1: <laughs> well, but that's why you, you, you're you not your teacher. You know, you can't priest yourself. In The Course in Miracles, it's an internal teacher. That's why you go to a yoga class. That's why these asanas already exist. That's why these positions already exist. You don't make them up. So it's not like oh, I'll decide what the best thought is to think it's not like that That's why whether it's the Course in Miracles or Buddhism or Kabbalah or all the great religious systems But this kind of dilatonism, which is of choosing a little principle here and choosing a little principle there is not a serious spiritual path A serious spiritual path. It, it's more like different different disciplines of yoga. You actually follow the one That is actually the training. So you're not deciding you're, you're surrendering. That's what the prayer is.
0: So can we go onto a practical basis? Because, again, I find, especially in, like, Illuminata, when you really read some of these prayers and you see, it really is down to how you communicate. Can we go through some so people can see practically, like, the difference of when you're? And I, go ahead.
1: And I also, somebody said to me, um, sometimes I'll say to people, did you, did you pray about it? And they'll respond with a line like, oh, I know it's in God's hands. And I'll say, that's not what I asked you. I asked you if you placed it in God's hands. To know it's in God's hands means someday this will all turn into love. But that could be 3,000 years from now. To pray about it means to put it in God's hands means, well, The Course in Miracles would say miracles collapse time that you're actually asking to be lifted into the quantum realm, which can interrupt the patterns of time and space as we understand them so that we'll get there quicker.
0: So how, let's go basic. So, because one of the best examples I feel like you have in there is like when you're going through a breakup and someone's so angry and they kind of want someone back in their life. Talk about like the prayers, like the difference of what probably Mm most of us would pray and what the prayer probably should be in order to get some of the effect you want.
1: Despite the fact that I want to kill him right now. (laughs) Despite the fact that I want to kill her as well. (laughs) May he be blessed. May he be happy. May he be loved.
0: Do you guys see the difference there? I really want to talk about this because I actually feel like Again, it really blew my mind because I actually think I'm a pretty sane, loving human being and I realize that they sneak in. Even if you don't mean to, those thoughts are there. And I find it really fascinating that just by the way you choose to ask or to talk and that becomes your mantra and it has an
1: alchemical effect on your brain may he be blessed may he be happy may he be loved and that's what keeps you saying may he be blessed may he be happy may he be loved may he be blessed may he be happy may he be loved that's what you do with any difficult relationship you pray for their happiness May he be blessed, may he be happy, may he be
0: loved. Talk about how you say if there's actually someone you're having difficulty with, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. May
1: they be blessed, may they be
0: happy. And you say to do it for like 30 days, right?
1: Well, there's great power in that 30 days. There's great power in if you're having a difficult relationship with someone spending at least five minutes in the morning um, praying for their happiness. 30 days later, they will either change or you won't care. I love that. You won't care.
0: No, but I think that's amazing. Either Part way, it you is, will you have been lifted above the
1: emotional turbulence of your ego mind.
0: Because it changes and that's what, the miracle. Right, because that's all about you're asking to see it differently versus to have it change. So that, it might not change at all, but you won't give a shit anymore. Or and want that's it to in the Course
1: in Miracles. The main principle of the Course is I am willing to see this differently. I am willing to
0: see this differently. I am willing to see their innocence. I am willing to see this differently. So, job. Someone wants a job, or they're going. In, they want this specific job. What kind of prayer would someone say to that?
1: Well, before you go into any room, whether you're going in to be the job interviewer or the job interviewee, you send your love before you. You send your love before you, and that puts you in. You know, in any situation. I remember when I was a child, there was a television show, and uh, on the in the television show. Uh, There were all these squiggly lines like a Jackson Pollock painting or something and they would say find the sandwich Find the Eiffel Tower and then somebody had a stick and could you figure it out? So that's how life is in any given moment There are so many things that could happen so many perceptions so many possibilities so many trajectories But there is one however that represents the highest most creative possibility for all sentient beings past present and future Now, you can't with your mortal mind figure that out. You can't with your mortal mind, but by the way, the universe is intentional. The universe wants the enlightenment of all living things. You can't know where you best fit into this. So you can't know if your highest, best use of your life energy is just to be at the interview or to get the job. It's not for you to know. You're, so uh, your job is to dwell within the space of the highest possibility unfolding. And that's that you're just, I'm going in to bless you. I'm going in to bless you. Now with, with the mortal mind and the, and the physical body, what my eyes see and my mortal mind knows, I'm interviewing you for a job or you're interviewing me for a job. But really that's just the tip of the iceberg. What's going on deep, deep down is that these tolls, these two souls are assigned for this particular situation, for maximal growth opportunity. The Course in Miracles says it's not up to you what you learn. It's merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain.
0: Now, I can I go mean, and- hold on. you got to take a beat for that. <laughs> yeah, that's Let that sink. One. Say it again for everybody.
1: It's not up to you what you learn. It's merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain. So how many situations have we all been in where you just, oh, I got it wrong, I got it wrong. And that's, once again, why you learn to surrender because you realize the times you quote, unquote, get it right are the times that you just show up to love. But once again, that's not, that. once again, going back to yoga, that's strength, that's power. That's not just namby-pamby, okay, I'm gonna go in there to be nice because everybody subconsciously knows everything. So this is a lot more than behavioral modification. This is real that you prayed for the person's happiness before you went there. That you it's 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 musculature, it's attitudinal musculature, no different than in yoga. And people subconsciously know it.
0: What if you're in a situation that you're just confused, whether it's you're choosing between two guys, you don't know where to go next? What kind of prayer would you do in that scenario? Well, for the Course of
1: says you were to make no decisions for yourself. And so you were asking in every relationship, and I think where we get in trouble with romantic relationships is where the ego mind is so insistent, oh, there's that spiritual stuff and then there's him. There's that spiritual stuff and then there's this thing. Well, that's, that's a sure way to blow it in that realm. And so you're asking that the highest, the highest unfoldment that you just be a blessing on his life and he'd be a blessing on yours or she or whatever it is. And that's an area where it's, Hardest to remember, but the most important to remember, because when you get it wrong in that area, such pain can result.
0: It is amazing, though, because even tonight I was praying before the event, and I did did everything, blessed ahead, you know. Also, <coughs> you know, let us be your vessel, let the information come that everyone needs, and still there's like this quiet voice in the back that's like, and please let it be good, and please let it be good. <laughs> And so it's like, how do you, you know, and I'd laugh. So then I had a whole conversation being like, sorry, I'm still working on this. I'm getting well, better. God's not working. up there, like, rolling his
1: eyes. But I think that what will happen is that you will experience it's good, right? <laughs> yeah. And it'll happen so good so many times that you'll just learn to relax. But it's
0: just funny how you try trying to have these, these prayers. And, like, still, I feel like we... As conscious as you can be of something, sometimes there's quiet little voices that you're still working out. of course, until
1: we're enlightened masters, of course, we all go through that in whatever place we go through it. What I notice in my life and what I see with other people is we all have the areas where, you know, in relationships, it's not like you're ahead and I'm behind. It's you have it a little easier in one area where I have it a little harder. I have it a little easier in another area where you have it harder, which is why friendships are important. So I don't have as much of that in this area of life, but I have that in other areas of life. So we all have those places where we are usually depending on what your childhood was.
0: So one last prayer. I'd love to take advantage of the fact that we have you here tonight. I mean, we've all been going through, I think, a tough time. And I think we all know people who have lost their homes or have lost Families, and I think it would mean a lot if, a, what would a prayer look like in tragedy, and b, if you could give us one right now. Yeah, it'd be (laughs) amazing if you can do it. Okay, I think think it'd be helpful for all of us. So, in the course in miracles, it says
1: that there is no order of difficulty in miracles. So, and first of all, we allow ourselves to just, and there might be people in this room who yourselves, either your homes, are affected uh, by what's happening in those fires or if we just allow ourselves to drop down and to really think about how many people. Uh, tens of thousands of homes have been lost. Um, some people are, um, I mean, it's a traumatic situation no matter what. Some people lost big homes and it's their second home and they have a friend they can stay with. It's still traumatic. For other people, it's, it's they've lost everything. Uh, and, and, and some people have died. So you don't want to, this in the spiritual life, you know, one of the mistakes of the higher consciousness community, another place where sometimes in the higher consciousness community we get sucked into the, to the worldly illusion is this concentration on happiness. And that's actually a corruption um, because the real spiritual life, there's no serious spiritual path that gives any of us a a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. So if we're gonna pray about what's happening in Malibu and with that fire, we want to allow ourselves to really go into that place of realizing, bearing witness to the agony. In the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion, when the disciples wanted to fall asleep, and he said, can you not remain awake with me? in the hour of my agony. So that's the first thing where that spiritual power comes from is our willingness to really think about those people who have lost their homes. Um, We don't even know what's going on actually um, with some people who don't know where certain people are. People have lost their animals. I saw stuff on the Internet. Some people saying just spray paint on the side of the animal, your phone number, let the animal, the animal will know better what to do. I mean, there's just so many points of, of pain that people are, are going through. So that's the first thing, to really drop into that place where we are, where we are naked before the immensity of this. And then that gives the more, the deeper in your heart you are, you are coming from, the more miraculous power you can have. Because miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. So we like to sort of stay in, in the head, which is not where your miraculous authority lies. So from that place, let's pray. Dear God, we know that you know the shattering experience these fires have been and are for so many people. And first, dear God, we ask your blessing and protection on those firefighters, on the brave, heroic people who we know, even now as we speak, are facing such danger beyond what we can even conceive people who are flying over fire in the places, people are getting closer than would be safe for any of us, the people who are poring over maps trying to figure out what to do, who've been awake for hours and hours, who haven't gotten any sleep. We just allow ourselves to think of the human drama and that is on top of all the people who are even now watching their homes burn, thinking of all that they have lost pictures of their children, the pictures of their parents, their ability to work, worried about lack of insurance, the the level of trauma and despair. And now we remember that God is great. And we pray that legions of angels, the thoughts of God, Now descend upon that area and descend upon the minds and the hearts of everyone living in fear, everyone making an effort for the firefighters. May everything they need just appear and may water flow down from the heavens, dear God. Whatever it is that is to be learned here, may it be learned. But may every miracle that needs to be worked, be worked. May a great light dissolve this darkness and a great comfort come to all the people. And for those who lost their lives, may they they pass in peace and may those who love them be comforted in this hour of their agony. And we ourselves, dear God, surrender ourselves to be of use. In whatever way we can help, in whatever way we can serve, We send our energy, we send our love, we send our prayers, and if you want us to send our money to the fire department, we'll do that, just let us know. We place ourselves in service and we rejoice in the miracles to come. May all whose lives are touched in any way by those fires, the people, the animals, And the land itself. Be blessed. May all aspects of nature conspire to work a miracle.
0: Hey guys, we wanted to announce our next Dent Talks live. So again, if you're liking these episodes and you want to actually see it in person and then you get a chance to have Q&A and talk to people, our next one is December 8th. It's going to be a panel. We have four incredible guests. It's called How to Be Your Own Guru because I feel like we get a lot of that. How can I figure out what's right for me and all this noise? And so we're going to talk to all of these people who come at it from religion, travel, career shifts, spirituality how they decided like what works for them, what their spiritual path should be in a world full of so much noise. So some of the panelists are gonna be Muhammad al-Samawi. He was raised in Yemen to a devout Muslim family. He started questioning his religious beliefs early, which led to death threats. He actually fled Hoping to save his family, but he fled right into the heart of the civil war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Honestly, through just some faith and through Facebook, who knew? He put some flyers out there, and some people from different countries actually saved him. So he was always challenging spirituality from a young age and religion. We have Chandrish Bardwatch, who is one of our teachers. He was on the podcast himself. He is incredible. He wrote an entire book about this Break the Norms. He comes from the whole spiritual lineage of gurus. And he actually chose to take a whole different path until he ended up back to where he needed to be. But he did it the way he needed to do it, even though people might have disapproved. We have Jordan Taylor Wright coming on as well. He's a young creative director and filmmaker. He has worked with the best of them, literally with J-Lo and Usher, Justin Bieber, But he has chosen to walk this path differently. It's so easy to succumb to the world of entertainment and money and drugs and partying. And he has just such a steady path of spirituality and who he is, and he always has been that way. So he has some really interesting things to share. And then rounding it out is Cassandra Bozak she is a nutritionist and author. Her book just came out. She's incredible. It's all about eating with intention and how you have to figure out the nutrition and what is right for you. Once again, in a world with so many people telling you, you have to eat this or eat that, she is all about figuring out what works for your body. So again, this is an incredible panel. It's going to be live. There's going to be a book signing afterwards. They each have a book. So please come. And again, a chance to do a Q&A, have personal practices with them. And to hear how all of them, no matter what they were told and disapprovals and different perspectives, how they all figured out what works for them and to give you guys tips on how to figure out how to be your own guru. And so it is, together, we all say, amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that. I think we all really needed that. Um, Off of that, how do you for these poor people that are going through this, how do you get them, or how would one be able to surrender and trust in a time like that? When you're going through a real crisis, how, how do you still remain someone who has faith?
1: Well, I'm sure that the people who are actually going through it don't have a problem at this moment. Uh, the devastation, the despair, it cracks you open. So I, I don't think, I mean, you and I had to make a conscious effort to be in the naked, authentic despair
0: where God is. I don't think they're having a problem with it. That's interesting, that makes sense. It's true, everything gets very quickly put into perspective. Nothing like a crisis.
1: And that's a crisis on some level in the life of everyone who is there.
0: Well, thank you again. Um, I do wanna talk about relationships because so much of what you're talking about like feeds into it, right? And I, I love when you say they're divine assignments, which you said earlier. Yeah. I feel like in some way that's actually very empowering to not take every little thing personally, which I feel like most of us probably do. Um, And I, and I love that so much of, if you talked about, she actually did this amazing course called teaching for teachers, which you can go still take. It's incredible. And one of the things you said on there that I loved was how you can choose to make your relationship, either the crucifixion or the savior. Course in miracle says
1: everyone you meet is either your crucifier or your savior,
0: depending on what you choose to be to them. And I love that because it's based again, it's choice of how you choose to look at this situation. Are you going to judge
1: them and attack them and put
0: another name? They're going on to do cross? it to you.
1: Or are you going to?
0: Or if you enter with love them. and stray, if you enter with love and forgiveness and kindness and see their light, and everything they provide?
1: The resurrection is, you know, those are metaphysical terms. They're not just Christian dogma or doctrine. In The Course in Miracles, they're not used that way at all. The metaphysics of the resurrection, the resurrection is any moment when you are lifted above the judgmental mind. You did this, you did that. That's what every nail in the cross. You did this, you did that. The resurrection is in this moment you are innocent. In this moment, it's not about what mistakes you made. I'm going to just concentrate and seek to see the beauty in you. And the idea of crucifier or savior is the only way I can be released from my feelings of guilt is if I'm willing not to make it about your guilt in this moment.
0: I know you you said it in that program as well. And I thought it was so interesting (coughs) that just every moment we basically make a choice of innocence or guilt. That was eye-opening for me because I was (laughs) like... Wow, we really do. And again, there's not a neutral moment. There's not a neutral thought. So it's it's really fascinating. If you all take a moment and think of all these times you've, even today, encountered people, you've put some sort of judgment on it. Sometimes it's a lovely one, but sometimes it might be a really small negative one. And that really does, you said, whatever you give out, you will get back. Maybe not in that moment, but at some point you will get it back. And I found that really fascinating in relationships. It is so true. You usually have a moment with your significant other of they're either your finger waggy and they're guilty or there's innocence. And so I love the idea of if you can come to it as the savior and one you know who accepts and sees the light. And even you said, if you can rise above and always see what's good in them, even if they can't see it, you always see what they're capable of and where they can go, even if they can't. I think that's so beautiful. And I think it's so empowering. However, my question is, what's the balance of becoming an enabler um, or just living with purposeful love at all times?
1: Well, the Course in Miracles says it is your job to tell a brother he is right, even when he is wrong. Then it says that doesn't mean you tell him he didn't do something foolish when he did. But until you can find that spot of sweet, that sweet spot of divine neutrality, I'll give you an example. I'm staying this week with a friend of mine who's a big Trump supporter. And I used to stay with and her Marianne, all the time. And it's Marianne, by I... the way. So
0: let's all just picture that situation.
1: <laughs> this and is your test. <laughs> I, would, I would say that we've worked hard, actually, on our, on our friendship because, and it hasn't been easy, but she's a wonderful girlfriend to me. I'm going to stay in her, her house this week in L.A. She's going to stay in my apartment in New York because she's going in a couple of days. But I haven't stayed with her in a while because I thought that would be too much because it's but but tonight we we started while I was while I, while I was getting dressed to come here. Um, I was losing my space of divine neutrality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it, it happens hard. to everyone.
1: <laughs> it's So the Course in Miracles would say um, and of course we all have those t- tempting places. Uh, I was making it about her political opinion, and that's not where we join. And you first have to join on the level of your mutual innocence and love. And I have to say, she and I have, have made progress in this, but it was just too fast. I, I got an email; and it came up. We just stopped being careful, so we have made some progress. So the Course in Miracles says, your first. That you have to remember what your mission is. Is your mission here? The Course of Miracles says. Do you prefer to be right or to be happy? And I was trying to be right, and she was trying to be right. But the only way to be happy is to know how fabulous she is, and how you know, how mutually, much we love each other. Which, most of the time, means we just don't even discuss politics. I have to say. Um, and when we have gotten it right in the past, we were very careful, and we just weren't careful tonight. So. It was just going too fast. I mean, we we're fine. We hugged. We love, you know. She didn't want to come here because she thought like, probably a bunch of liberals. <laughs> <laughs> Half of whom she knows. I don't know who she, where mm-hmm. she thinks she lives, but anyway.
0: <laughs> That's true. Who are
1: your friends I on know. your who private freaking jets in New York? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you are?
0: <clears throat> so, in a relationship, so what happens, like, let's say you are with. Someone who ultimately is an addict, or because I do think it's really easy, especially for a, a lot of people who can fall into codependency very easily. They like to take care of people. There is a fine line of when you're all you want to do is take care of someone, to take care of someone takes care, and you 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 think you're the person who sees the light in everyone, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's how you're behaving. It's more that's about a very self
1: congratulatory place we go into that we assume our issue is that we want to take care of people so much. I exactly. think that's kind of funny right there that we have this image of ourselves. It's just a basic Al Anon issue, isn't it? And anyone and anyone who's ever had much experience in that area, and I have, uh, knows how to say, I love you. I will always love you. Give me back my keys. (laughs) Yeah. You do not, you know, to enable uh when you are doing something that would be um allowing someone to hurt you, you're allowing them to hurt them. It's a win-win universe. Martyrdom is ego enabling his ego. You're trying to be their savior. And that, once again, Al-Anon is, is, is a really perfect statement of how these principles apply in that particular situation. I remember uh, I was living in LA, it was many, many years ago, and I'd been living with this heroin addict, and, and I remember my, f- my friends telling me, this was back in the 80s, Marion, you really should go to Al-Anon. I said, no, 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 I really wanna do The Course in Miracles, I really wanna do The Course in Miracles, really don't. And then this <laughs> little group of friends, um, and a few weeks later, a couple of months, okay, I get it. I have to tell you what I've come to and what I've realized. And they all sat and they listened to me and they, you know, and they were quiet. And then somebody said, would have gotten that now and on in two weeks. So, you know, there, there is truth spoken in many different ways. So you, you learn that love sometimes says no. And you'll learn this as a mother. Yep, I mean, the fact that sure. love doesn't mean you're going to say yes, you can play with those, you know, you know scissors.
0: I actually this kind of runs into a quote that I love from Eternal Love also, which is whether you are and this one really resonated with me. So whether you are attacking first or attacking back, you are an instrument of attacking and not of love. That's what's happening today with her. Oh my God. That is I like use any time I feel like, especially with my Husband, it feels like, really going at me, I'm like, oh, now I have every right. Like, now you feel empowered and that you're, like, you're allowed to do it. I remember when we were kids, I remember we'd <laughs> say, Mommy, she did it first. Oh, yes. But, I mean, I thought that was really profound of, like, holy shit. Like, that excuse doesn't work at all.
1: I know. I, and that's exactly where I was earlier tonight. I was fine and I was fine and I was fine until she could, brings out the Obama did it card. There's always that one little thing. Okay, now I...
0: Yeah. <laughs> No, but I thought it was really interesting that if you play into their game, you're just as guilty. It does not matter who started it.
1: And the Course in Miracles, no, not the Course, Martin Luther King Jr. said, you have very little morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt that's not just what we say, it's also who we are when we say it. People subconsciously know everything, and that's a big deal in politics these days because a smug, self-righteous, intolerant left-winger is no less obnoxious or dangerous to the fabric of this nation than a smug, self-righteous, uh, intolerant right-winger.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, how do you feel like you can bring what we talk about, what we're talking about here, and what you talk about all the time, To politics, like in that sense, because one of the things you always say is healing only happens when you see the truth in all and forgive. But right now, I just see a lot of people blaming. If we're going to (coughs) do the innocence and guilty thing, it's all you're guilty, you're guilty. It doesn't matter what side you're on. And very few people listening and being able to forgive. But can you forgive? How do you do progress and forgive at the same time? Well, it takes a
1: lot of... it's, It's an art form. And once again, going back to yoga, going back to practice... A lot of, the Course in Miracles says, where there is love, miracles occur naturally. So, we need a miracle in America. So, one side of the political spectrum is really big on loving America. But they don't love Americans. The other side of the political spectrum, everybody loves, I love the blacks, I love the Jews, I love the gays, I love the Buddha, but I don't love America. America's fucked up. Right? and so concentrating on the, the mistakes that we have made. Now, cynicism is just an excuse for not helping. So a lot of people these days, they, it's like, Sometimes I think people just read an American history book for the first time, and they've just realized we had slavery, we had genocide of Native Americans, we had institutionalized white supremacy, we had segregation. Yeah, that's very, very true. We also had abolition. We also had suffrage. We also had the civil rights movement. So just with a nation, it's just like with an individual. If you're really looking deep at yourself, and seeing the things you've done wrong. You need to have friends, therapists, people who say, you didn't do everything wrong. Just like when you're look, thinking so high on yourself, it's probably helpful to have somebody around you. You didn't do everything right. I remember a friend of mine, once I was looking at something I'd done wrong, and I, I said, yeah, well, I was young. And she looked at me and she went, you weren't that young. <laughs> so, you know, you have to have a balanced view. And that's how we heal as individuals. So I think, just like on the right, it's like, excuse me, will you look at the military-industrial complex? Will you look at wealth inequality? Will you look at the racial disparity? Will you look at mass incarceration? Will you look at what our foreign policy has done? Would you look at the Iraq invasion? Will you look at the Vietnam War? Will you look at the fact that we're not even functioning as a democracy anymore? Will you look? Will you look? Will it? Yeah, but at the same time, will we look at the fact that the historical narrative has been that as bad as it has been at times, and you know, so much of what is going on right now is not new. And that's what blacks and Jews know. This shit's not new. You know, this stuff's not new. These are ancient viral thought forms that are coming back around. And anybody who thought that they were completely gone was completely naive or willfully ignorant anyway. But they were asymptomatic enough. We thought that we had... Reached a consensus in this country where there were these lines past which on left and right we would not go in terms of giving serious political megaphones anymore or political serious force anymore to racism, anti-Semitism, etc. And now those levees have fallen, it's so clear what's happening. But Not only are those things back around again, we need to bring back around again how other generations have responded in their time. There was slavery, but then there were also the abolitionists. There were there was suffrage, um, there was oppression of women. There have also been two major waves of feminism and women's suffrage. There was institutionalized white supremacy and segregation. There was also the civil rights movement. So this is not the first generation to have to address this dismantling of our democracy and this re-emergence of an aristocratic paradigm. Let's just not be the first generation to wimp out on doing what it takes to get this country back on track. And we have to address within ourselves, right? So we have to address within ourselves, and I think even in our own community, I think it's really important that we remind, particularly women, American women are not porcelain dolls. We're not like, if I hear one more person say, the whole thing is so traumatizing. We do not have time for you to get over your trauma work before you show up for your <laughs> Do you think that the people, do you think that the people who were walking across the bridge at Selma were not traumatized? They didn't know if they were gonna send the dogs, they didn't know if they were gonna send the hoses, they didn't know if they were gonna spray bullets at them. You think they weren't traumatized? You think the women's suffragettes who were f- force fed and had those metal collars put on weren't in stress and anxiety and trauma? We need to toughen up and get fierce. When, you know, the goddess wants a little bit more from us than that we dance with cut velvet scarves. You know, she wants a little more than chanting. She wants us to address the fact that that you have 12,000 children starving every day on this planet. And we have millions of American children who go to school every single day in schools where there aren't even working toilets, where there aren't anything near the school supplies necessary for those kids to learn. And if that child hasn't learned to read by the eighth grade, the chances are radically decreased that that child will graduate from high school, which then increases the chances that they will be incarcerated. You know, I walked into a room this morning, of uh, very, very, there's a room of very powerful women doing all this stuff. And my first thought was how cool it was, and my second thought was how heartbreaking it is. Because with this many empowered women in this country, Our democracy should not be in the shape it's in, and our world should not be in the shape it's in. So none of the self-congratulatory shit right now, including I'm woke, because if you're not addressing (laughs) the fact of how many millions of children cannot even have enough to eat at a time, at a time when there is no dearth of food on the planet, there are so many ways the ego can be so insidious. So to be woke right now to me means to not leave these hideous trajectories unanswered.
0: And talk about that. Talk about people who say it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, that's not what they're here for. They're here for peace and love. Because like, I know you have very strong opinions on it, and I love it. So can you <clears throat> talk about it? Because I feel like, especially in the spiritual community, what do, you, what do you want from people?
1: Well, first of all, it's not what I I mean, what, what would you I... like to see? Well, first of all, there is this misuse of spirituality. There is no serious spiritual path that I've ever read about or known about that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. So if you're out to be comfortable and you just put enough crystals in your house, call it a lot of things, that's fine. I have no judgment on it, but don't call it spiritual. Because you can't skip the crucifixion and go right to the resurrection. That's not transcendence, that's denial. There's a difference between denial and transcendence. And we're living at a time where I don't care what the private issue is, it will get to you, the public issue is, it will get to your private door. Like if you think you're going to be cool because you're drinking enough, you're, you're gluten free and you're drinking enough glu, uh, green juice, so you're going to be cool in the food department. Let me tell you, they're gutting the Clean Water Act, they have gutted the Clean Air Act. And they have overturned the ban on the pesticide, so you might be think it's so cool, you don't know who's using that pesticide down the block from you. So none of us, you can't wall yourself off. You can pretend you're walled off. And I think that with Trump's election, I think there has been this massive awakening. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying we're all asleep, because we're not, I think we're living at a time of great awakening. But I've always felt that the spiritual community we're the last people who should be standing on the periphery, infantilized. We should be the biggest grown-ups in the room. Because if you know what, if you know what heals one heart, you know what heals the world. Because all that a nation is is a group of individuals. Now, this, the, the spiritual community has been very sophisticated about personal darkness. So the spiritual community, because of a lot of recovery, uh, people know there's no guarantee that if you keep drinking, you won't kill yourself. There's no guarantee if you keep the person that I mentioned about heroin, he, he died. You know, there's no guarantee that if you continue this way, you will live. Well, we need to stop being so naive. There's also no guarantee your democracy will survive. There's also no guarantee that your planet will survive. And here we have this zero tolerance about personal abuse you know, we would never, in the spiritual community, say to a woman who is being abused by her husband, "Go back to him," because you just want to be filled with love. So, if we wouldn't say yes to an abusive husband, why would we say yes to an abusive president? So, I think that I think that there are the same principles, but we heal one aha at a time. And I think the spiritual community we have put ourselves in this in this little convenient bubble, and the the the, the 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 culture hasn't given us any credence because we're not acting like serious people, but we've found it convenient and that's why at my lecture last time in New York, I talked about those two women who were killed at the yoga studio in Tallahassee. That's the first time it came home to us mm-hmm. And I felt about those women the way I felt I'm a Jew, and the way I felt at that, about that synagogue, and those the Jews who were killed. I felt the same way about the women at yoga class. It was like my tribe. That was like any you know women here. As a matter of fact, I talked about it. I said, and then I got emails from people who knew those women. You were right. They did. They were everything that you said. They read exactly what you said. They were into exactly what you assumed they were into. So I, I think that's. That issue of those girls who were killed there, and by the way, that not only were those were those Jews in at the synagogue in in Pittsburgh targeted as Jews. This is the first time this man talked on social media about his misogyny. They were targeted as sexy women. I mean, this is in this, and he chose a yoga, yoga studio. I mean, hello, wake up. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Not that you're not awake. It's not personal. But <laughs> we're woke, we're I'm woke. just saying this is like we're all living. There is no one who is anywhere not at the effect. And I, I felt that, that those murders were really... Um...
0: They hit home. Do, do you feel like that there's a way to accomplish this? Do you feel like the divide that's happening in our country is necessary? Or there's a way where we need to heal that fracture in order for this other stuff to heal. Well,
1: once again, going back to what the course says, it's, up, it's not up to you what you learn. It's merely up to you whether you learn through joy or pain. No, it was not necessary. But it was inevitable, given the chronic disengagement of too many people in this country, including all of us. The intellectual elites of this country, on both the left and the right, should have known that if you put together a combination of chronic economic despair among millions of millions of people and you partner that with an underattention to proper educational opportunities for all people that is a prescription for fascism and every and there were so many people enjoying their nice their nice cocktail parties in LA and New York and Washington but you missed that didn't you guys <laughs> this did not have yeah. to happen and enough of us all of us have to look as individuals and as communities what we thought other people were taking care of it wasn't in your neighborhood or whatever but i think that Now, many of us are looking. I think we need a whole person politics. We've done with politics what we used to do with medicine when we only had an allopathic model. We only addressed externals. And you didn't address nutrition. You didn't address exercise. You didn't address spirituality. You didn't address the proactive cultivation of health. And then when the inevitable symptoms of sickness arose, you just saw externally through external allopathic means to suppress or eradicate the symptoms. Those days are over. We know now that health is not the absence of sickness. Sickness is the absence of health. You have to proactively cultivate health. So now we are learning. We did not attend to our democracy. We took it for granted. We thought uh, somebody else was handling it. We did not tend deeply to justice. We did not tend deeply. We didn't really ask ourselves what it would mean. You know, we're the only country in the world that bases our educational funding on property taxes. We're the only country in the world that does that. So that means that if you are raised in a poor neighborhood, you're gonna have a less good uh, education. Your chances of remaining in poverty are increased. And we're all wondering whether your kid's gonna get into Harvard Westlake or Country (laughs) Day or whatever. So we all, you know, I think a lot of Americans are realizing like, and it's not about blame, but you know, only a sociopath has no remorse. Mm. Only a sociopath has no regret. And so when you're going through a crisis, whether as a country or as an individual, part of the pain of it is having to look at some things that are painful to look at. Now, that's why I'm so against the overprescription of antidepressants. You don't want to be desensitized to this pain. You don't want to be desensitized to this pain. We're living at a time where if, you're looking at what's happening in this country and on this earth right now, and you're not depressed, who are you? Agreed. Sometimes the fact that we are disturbed is a sign of mental health. And I think the fact that American women for so long have been something's off, something's wrong, something yeah, that's, that's millions of years of evolution at work in you. Because just like you would know, and I know this as a mother, I'm sure you do, you walk in, something's wrong. You can feel it. It's Millions of years, you can feel it. And we felt that about the planet. Something's off. Something's off. We need to to be listening to that more, not covering over the pain.
0: So on your Love America tour, what are you you seeing? Are you seeing people ready to...
1: I'm seeing such wonderfulness. We are good people. We are decent people. Americans are just like everybody else. Uh, We... If you, I remember many years ago, there was this little girl who fell down a well. I don't know how many of you. This yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. If you all don't remember, and the whole country was like, "Did they get her? Did they get her?" That's all anybody was talking about. Did they get her? Did they get her? If you put one child in front of an American, and we see one suffering child, we'll do anything. But collectively, our capacity for grandiosity and denial, it, which can so easily be taken advantage of by nefarious forces is almost off the charts. That's why Americans are very good with the screaming emergencies, but weigh down the charts on the silent emergencies. If there's a tsunami, if there's an earthquake, America's there first. But so, there are people in this world, millions of people in this world who suffer the effects of what would be the equivalent of a tsunami or an earthquake every single day, and Americans are way down the charts of advanced democracies on how
0: on response. And that's clearly not how our president pays attention. I mean, we obviously need someone like you. Are there any talks or any thoughts of you running or being part of this? <laughs> yes. If
1: my father were alive, he would say, this must be responded to. No, he would say, this must not be left unanswered. You know, there's a, um, there's a common anthropological characteristic in every advanced mammalian species, and that is the fierce behavior of the adult female of the species when she senses there is a threat to her cubs. The lion, the bear, the tiger, you come after her cubs, she's coming after you. And nobody calls the lion when she does that strident. <laughs> you know that the adult hyena, the adult female hyena encircles the cubs and will not let the the adult males get anywhere near the food until the babies have been fed. So I think the women of America could do better than the hyenas. (laughs) And the fact that we are collectively displaying behavior that is not proactively out there to say the babies first means that we are not displaying the behavior that is necessary for the survival of our democracy or the survival of our species. We are living as a species just like when we were kids and we learned about evolution and we learned that if a species gets to a point where its behavior is maladaptive for its survival, it will either mutate and evolve or it will go extinct. Humanity, the human race, is now behaving in ways that are maladaptive for our survival. And our survival as a species isn't guaranteed any more than the heroin addict's uh, survival is guaranteed if they continue with that. I mean, there's no, physical survival is not a guarantee. So, you know, you can look at something like the you know, carbonic acid coming down from the carbon in the sky, what it's doing to the phytoplankton, the fact that the phytoplankton is necessary in order to produce the oxygen that we need for two out of three breaths we take, the fact that within 10 to 20 years, at the rate we're going, there will be no phytoplankton left because of all the carbon we're allowing. And we're just kind of like, we know this, but we, something in us we are not acting as we need to be acting. So um, Americans, if, and I'm, I'm a romantic about American democracy, and I'm a romantic about American history, because the historical narrative is that even though we often, as Americans, get their late. The historical narrative would argue that when we do get there, we slam it. We slam it like nobody's business, <laughs> and we can slam it now. And we started to slam
0: it, I think, the other night. So I'm not hearing a no.
1: Oh, in terms of my my thinking of running, <laughs> I am absolutely considering running for president because I have some things yes. I want to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat>
0: Well, I think you you. have all of our support for sure. What? You have all of our support for sure.
1: Well, I don't know. You know, this is the way I look at that, and thank you very, very much. And
0: I will call you this
1: weekend and thank you for that. A campaign is a long thing, and um, you will be hearing from many wonderful people who will be running. Um, There are going to be a lot of people running for the Democratic nomination. I think that's going to be good for our democracy. I think it's going to be good for our country, good for the Democratic Party. and I don't uh, expect anyone to know this week or next week or in the next three months who you plan to vote for in a primary a year from now. But I do very much uh, appreciate uh, doing what it would take to give me the opportunity to be in the game and to hear uh, my voice. And for that, you need uh, a lot of, of um, uh, a lot of support. I think it's significant, um, in my opinion. Uh, the political establishment got us into this mess. I don't see the political establishment getting us out of this mess. Um, I think it's significant that when the uh, Constitution was written, the founders said, it's so interesting, sometimes it's not just what they said but what they didn't say. The founders said uh, in the Constitution that the president has to be 35 or older, born here, and has to have lived here for 14 years. They didn't say had to have been a lawyer, had to have been a a senator, had to have been a congressman, had to have been a governor, and they could have if they wanted to. What they were doing was leaving it to every generation to determine for itself the skill set that it felt is necessary to address the challenges of their time. James Madison wrote the Constitution. He was not a lawyer. And at Princeton, he studied Hebrew and philosophy. So I think that, I think of, and there are some really great politicians, and I think some really great ones are going to be running for president, but I look at traditional politicians right now, like good car mechanics, and apparently, and like I said, the intellectual and political elites on both the left and the right were gobsmacked by Donald Trump, clearly didn't know what road we were on, and drove this car into a ditch. And so I think we need the kind of people, and that means all of us, this is not just about me, but different kinds of wisdom and perspicacity and a psychological and emotional, only people who were blind to the pain and the economic despair of millions and millions and millions of Americans, which was not adequately addressed by either party, could have not known, ooh, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. So I think, whether i am president one day or not the idea of a conversation about the deeper psychological and emotional issues including in us that have to be awakened in order for us to really move things i feel it would be of use
0: it's going to be amazing and well, thank, thank you, you.
1: thank
0: you so a couple more questions that i want to dig in with you in all of this, I mean, and I do want to talk about tears for tri- Tears to Triumph a, a lot, because I do love the conversation that you say about depress- like depression and us needing to feel our sadness. What was a moment for you that either, A, you've lost faith, um, or just some darker moments for you? What was like a moment, have you ever lost faith?
1: But I, yes, I have. But I, I have come to understand that the sun is always shining. What I've lost faith in is myself. I've known my whole life the problem was not God. God was never not there. But there have been times when I did not choose God. Many are called, but few are chosen, and the Course in Miracles means everyone's called, but few care to listen. So, So my moments of despair have been my horror at myself.
0: What does that look like for you when you're in those low places, and then how do you make the, the little baby steps to get well, out? Well, that's
1: what that book is about. That's what Tears to Triumph is about, and what I talk about is, and that's, you know, going back to that whole conversation about the overprescription of antidepressants. I'm not talking about bipolar. I'm not talking about schizophrenia or anything like that. That's not my expertise, my knowledge base, my purview, my lane, but... When it comes to the spectrum of normal human despair, that is my lane, because that is spiritual purview. So, having lost someone you loved, or a heartbreak, or a divorce, or a financial or professional failure of losing money, all those things are very painful, but they're not a mental illness. And the psyche has an immune system, just like the body does. The immune system is important because it means the body can take quite a bit of assault and injury and integrate it and heal from it. But so does the psyche, that's what grief is. So the reason I wanted to write that book was because when you say how did I deal with it, I remember when I went through, because I've been through two times of what would be called today clinical depression, which only means somebody said it in a clinic. (laughs) There is no blood test. And I remember a psychiatrist I was seeing at the time and I he gave me pills and I took them away and I threw them back at him and I said, if I'm gonna do drugs, I can get much better ones for myself than than anything. And I, and I knew, and, and at that time, my understanding of spirituality, and that's why in that book I talk about Buddha and I talk about Moses and I talk about Jesus, because all the great religious systems speak to suffering. That's why this BS of this new spirituality where it's all about happy, 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 there's no serious spiritual path does that. Buddha started his path to enlightenment when he crossed the walls of his father's compound and he saw suffering for the first time. That is the essence of the Buddhist teaching, that life is suffering. You can't leave that out of Buddhism, right? That's number one with Buddhism. And then with with Judaism and the Old Testament and Moses, the only reason that Moses was sent to the Israelites was because they were suffering as slaves in Egypt. And in Christianity, you can't leave out the fact that Jesus suffered on the cross. So what happened was, many centuries ago, people looked to religion for their inspiration and for their comfort. And then, largely because of malfeasance within institutionalized religions, the baton was passed uh, in that last century to psychology, psychotherapy. But then, in the last few decades, and it happened so quick you didn't even know it was happening, and then all of a sudden everybody was on meds, it was passed again because, of a, because I think of a lack of spiritual dimension to psychopharmacology, psychotherapeutic industrial complex, which now makes billions of dollars of convincing people who, once again, I'm not talking about psychotherapeutic drugs for serious mental illness, but I'm talking about the fact that these difficult times in life, particularly the reason this has been so painful for me to watch, is because of all the young people, particularly young women. The 20s are hard. So hard. The 20s are hard. They're not a mental illness. And the (laughs) FDA has issued a black box warning that for for people 25 years old and younger, these antidepressants can increase rather than decrease suicidal ideation. This is a very, very serious issue, and that people are finally admitting, yes, they are addictive. So this issue of desensitizing ourselves to our pain has implications that goes beyond the individual. What were we thinking when we were being told we were going to invade Iraq? And we were being told that this country that had not done anything to us, that had nothing to do with 9-11, that even if they had weapons of mass destruction, we do business with countries that have weapons of mass destruction every day. <laughs> but we were apparently okay with the fact that they're going to drop fire on people just like us. Just like us. The, the den meditation would not be able to save itself. You would not be able to, where would you go with your daughter? Where would you take your little girl? Mm-hmm. no way to protect, and we were like, well, okay. So the, where is the problem there? Is the problem that that invasion occurred about which now both right and left go, oops, or was the problem in the immune system? Was the problem that the, 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 this diseased thought occurred and that lack of wisdom? Profound lack of wisdom, or was it us who apparently were so desensitized? What 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 were we thinking? What were we? So it's always about us. That's what you learn in crisis. You stop pointing at the other people and you and you look at yourself. And I think we need people who who are willing to look deeply. Whether you know that's the problem with traditional psychotherapy. Somebody says, "What's going on in your life? Why are you upset today?" Rather than realizing many of us are upset because of things that are the forces that all of us are the effect of. Or talking about the spirituality thing, too often people go to psychotherapy today and the therapist says, is this relationship really giving you everything you need? (laughs) As opposed to what therapists should be saying, which is, are you really giving everything you have here? So psychotherapy, like everything else, whether it's politics, psychotherapy, education, business, everything is expanding because we're expanding and evolving into the realization that this spiritual component, the lack of it, is what has led us into very dark places. And the reassumption of it is what will lead us to the miracles with which we can move into the 21st century unburdened by the insanity that in too many ways was endemic of the 20th, particularly the late 20th.
0: Do you feel that forgiveness, because I know that's a big part of what you talk about everywhere, is the key to happiness? What do you think the true key To switching. And like for instance, do you feel like a difference between an unhappy person and a happy person no matter where they come from, is the choices they're making as far as perspective and how they're coming through the door?
1: Well, the Course in Miracles says forgiveness is the key to happiness. But when the Course in Miracles talks about happiness, it's not saying old-fashioned happiness, I'm spiritual, you're a jerk, but I forgive you. (laughs) The Course says that's judgment. Forgiveness, the way the Course in Miracles talks about it is you are love. And you may or may not download that love and express it in any moment, but you are love. And I am love. I might not have downloaded that and expressed it in any moment, but that's an undeletable file in me. And my happiness lies in knowing. It's like my friend that I was arguing about Trump tonight. We were both unhappy because we were identifying, we were talking to each other's political opinions rather than... And like I said, we've made, we've made progress in our, in our relationship, and I think it's kind of touching the way we work on it. But we, we were not disciplined. Disciple and discipline come from that same space. Like with yoga, we were not correctly positioned. So, yes, forgiveness is the key to happiness. And then the second thing, you said something after that, though.
0: About the, the difference between an unhappy person and a yeah. happy person.
1: Well, I think even a happy life has sad days. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a happy person, but I have sad days. And until we're avatars, that will be true. So we don't want to be, you know, when I was a child, you know, when I was younger, the Stepford image, a Stepford life, was something to avoid. Today, we almost talk like it's a goal. (laughs) You know, sometimes, I love the Buddhist story about the Buddhist monk at his his, uh, master's grave. And somebody comes up to the monk and says, I thought, you were an enli- I thought you were enlightened. Why are <laughs> you crying? And the Buddhist monk says, because I am sad. Maybe <laughs> be sad.
0: It is true. There's a weird expectation of having almost no emotion.
1: Now, the Course in Miracles says happiness is a decision we must make. But that doesn't, but you know, the three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, the 40 years between the um, between slavery in Egypt and the Promised Land, it looks like this. Let's say you've broken up with someone and you're very heartbroken about it and you keep praying, may he be happy, may he be blessed, may he be loved, may he be happy, may he be blessed, may he be loved, and dear God, I, you, know, I, you actually look at all the gunk in yourself. Well, I had an expectation, or oh, I tried to control him, or oh, I can see where that would have sent him away, or oh, all that stuff you have to go through, it's painful. But that's that three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Only doing that work will get you ultimately to happiness. So the ego wants you to get the cheap and happy, the cheap, the cheap happiness, which other people calling you up and going, "Girlfriend, he's terrible. He's terrible. You should be angry at him." So you get the cheap feeling of better but it can't make you happy only doing the work of real forgiveness of yourself and him will make you happy only the real work of atoning for your mistakes and giving him uh, and forgiving him for his will make you happy but not immediately so you're sad on your way and then and then it's like that wonderful sting song it's, he has so many songs that just have these profound spiritual and then all of a sudden you're laughing and you get it
0: um, is it harder to forgive yourself or someone else well I think every body's different and
1: every situation is different, but it's ultimately the same blasphemy to attack yourself. The Course in Miracles is like I said before, only only a sociopath has no remorse. Only a sociopath has no regret. So the Course in Miracles refers to temporary discomfort, discomfort being temporarily aroused. When you know you blew it, it's appropriate to feel terrible. And you don't want people around you to go, oh, don't feel bad. It was meant to happen, or something like that. You didn't make a mistake. You can't make a mistake. Yes, I made a mistake. And I denied myself something important. You, you want people who bear witness to your agony and remind you you didn't do everything wrong, but not who try to take away from you the fact that this is rough to have to look at. So, but, but, the Course says, after a point, and it has to do with those three days, that 40 years, after a point, and I see this in myself, if I'm down on myself about it, but then there comes a point where you get onto the work of, I just want to be a better woman now. And if you hold on to it too long and just are down on yourself so much, that's just the egos. The Course says that's just the ego assuring you'll do it again. You know, I always say it's three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, not nine days. (laughs) Forty years in the desert, not 120 years in the desert. And I notice that in life about processing things. Like, and I've seen this, I remember when I ran for Congress, and people, when you, when you do anything in public, people are looking, and I notice this when people ask me questions at my lectures. People are looking how, how you respond to situations. And people, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. So people wanna know how you fail as well as how you succeed. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I when I first, after that election, people were so kind to me. And I'd see people on the street, I voted for you, and I'm so sorry. People were so kind. After a while, though, I could tell, because I was doing my work, and I could tell, I could just see it. Some of people would go, they, they were happy to see that I wasn't, I don't know, people notice how there's a time when you go through something, whether it's a personal pain or public pain, people are there for you. But after a certain point, they want to see you not suck it up because you're not sucking it up at that point. You've processed it. So if you, if you went through a divorce or you went through anything painful, mm. people are really there for you. And then people have a natural, they're no longer that attracted to hearing the story again, again. if it's gone on too long. And I, you, everybody picks up on that. Everybody can feel it. So when you're when you're doing the appropriate time of feeling bad, people are really there for you. And when you're going on too long, people you'll you'll feel that from others. And so you're saying that's it's like a natural
0: the, rhythm, actually. It's
1: a natural rhythm, exactly. And that's why in that book, uh, Tears to Triumph, I I write at the beginning. I quote that Rilke uh, that Rilke uh, poem where he says, "Let me not squander." The hour of my pain. You know, life has seasons. And I've really noticed that when you were how people people will really be there for you when you're going through something, and people can also feel it when it's time and they're
0: to pull they're you up off the couch and mm-hmm. get you going mm-hmm. for a walk.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: So let's do your four yous, which are four quick questions with takeaways for all of you guys. What's your favorite book?
1: Well, I mean... We all kind of knew the answer. (laughs) I I love A Course in Miracles, obviously. I'm attached to that. I love... I read every couple years, I read um, Letters to a Young Poet by Rilke. That's a great one, It's a great
0: one. What's the type of meditation you rely on the most?
1: The Lessons in A Course in Miracles and also I do TM, Transcendental Meditation.
0: Do you journal or have any other daily practice?
1: It would be A Course in Miracles.
0: Also, like, what is your daily practice? Like, when you get up, how long do you meditate for? Do you pray every day? Do you meditate every day?
1: <clears throat> well, I know, yeah. And the, uh, as I said earlier, the Course in Miracles says that the morning is extremely important. If you wake up in the morning and you go straight to the computer and the news, especially today with everything going on, you just download the consciousness of that's why everybody's so angry because you're, t- you're taking it in. And then, of course, you're going to be depressed by noon. So in the morning, when your mind is open to new impressions, before you go there, think about God. You 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 don't you you take a shower or a bath to get yesterday's dirt off your body. You meditate and pray to get yesterday's stress off your mind. And and so whether it's TM or picking up the course in miracles or even just my own reflection, I I try to. Um, even if I'll pick up to see if there's a text from someone, I won't go and then put it down. Don't, n- don't go any further than that. <laughs> um, go f- get your steel core.
0: And do you feel like when, like, when have core. you messed up? Like one Pardon? of the times where that email just distracts you so much I you won't do the edit. email.
1: If, if you don't have my cell phone, then you couldn't. If you have my cell phone, then your text might be something I want to look at right now. But if you don't even have my cell phone, why would I be looking at your email right now? No. Because it'll get me off my steel core. And then you have that, and it's everything we were talking about, about your, if you take care of the vertical, <clears throat> you'll be able to be effective on the, on the horizontal. The key to power in this world is knowing you're not of this world. The Course in Miracles says everybody has a guilty secret that they think, only we think. <laughs> everybody has it, and it's this thought, I don't think I come from here. <laughs> and the Course says, you really feel at the deepest level you're an alien. Because you are. This world is not your home. So first, you claim your home, which is in a realm beyond this world. Then, and only then, can you be comfortable in your skin. That's the counterintuitive thing. The only way to be comfortable in your skin is to know you're not your skin. (laughs) And the Course says over-identification with the body puts a stress on the body. The body is not meant to carry, and that's the cause of sickness.
0: That's incredible. And frankly, it's also, again, I think even thinking in that perspective helps performing and doing the work so much easier because then you start realizing, wait, we're all the same. We're not this. There's no guilt. There's no innocence. I can lead with love. Like all these things you're saying you need to do. I feel like that really... Helps looking at it from that perspective.
1: Yeah, well, it's everything because it's like when I said before, the malignant thought is it's all about you. How would you and I? How could I? How can't you and I be here right now if we thought we had something special to give? I don't. It, I, the stress of that, and then you're worried that people are going to realize really you're a fraud because you don't. Because you don't. But you don't. It's just that somebody has to be the one saying it, and in this particular situation, we're here, so we must be it. There's nothing more special than that. The Course in Miracles says, all of the children of God are special, and none of the children of God are special. 90% of the time, the advice that will liberate you is to say to yourself, get over yourself.
0: I think we should end on that, because that's amazing. I mean, that was incredible. We're going to, we'll still do a Q&A, and she's going to do her personal practice, which will be a five to ten minute meditation, so stick around for that, so the Q&A will be after. I want to say thank you, though, because our I listeners are so- I just think you're so
1: fabulous. Have yeah. you told everybody we were in Israel together? I
0: mean, no, but we had an amazing trip in Israel together. I, I go just to,
1: think you're tremendous, and I think your place is beautiful, <laughs> and I'm not surprised that it's beautiful. Uh, I just think you're wonderful. I love you. I love you too. Like you. I
0: started and said, you are an unbelievably loyal and kind friend thank amongst you. just one of the most brilliant spiritual teachers right, out there. Right,
1: you. Thank you. So Mama. thank
0: you. Thank you. Um, But I do want to say, you guys, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. It really helps us. And please write a review as well. Marianne.com. Go to her website. If you didn't sign up when you came in for her email list, please make sure on the way out that you do sign up. Marianne.com has all of her events, all of your talks. Always here once a month at the Saban Theater. And you're lucky because it's also this this Monday. Tomorrow? Yeah, two days. Monday.
1: No, Monday. Yeah, this Monday.
0: And she's here once a month. On the
1: 10th (laughs) And also, again, I
0: mentioned the Teaching for Teachers program, which she just did, which is incredible, and you can get that on her website, too.
1: And, if I may, um, as I said, uh, I don't know for sure, because you never know until that last moment, but I am considering the possibility of running, and if you have an opinion about that, I'd love to hear your opinion. Well, let's make the opinion loud right
0: now. (laughs) I meant personally, (laughs) but Sounds pretty good to me. Thank you so much. So thank you. God bless you. And you guys all stay put. For everyone listening at home, thank you so much. And you're amazing. And thank you for just even your energy walking into this place for us. Thank you. Okay, so now we're going to do your personal practice. How lucky are we? We got a meditation from Marianne. Is that what we're doing now? Yeah, like a five to ten minute meditation. Okay. All
1: right. We see in the middle of our mind a little ball of golden light. We watch this light as it begins to grow, larger and larger. Until now, it covers the entire inner vision of our mind. We see for ourselves within this light a beautiful temple. We see a garden that surrounds the temple and a body of water that flows through the garden. We see that the inside of the temple is lit as well by this same beautiful golden light. And here we are. For we have been drawn together by the power and in the presence of God. Having closed our outer eye, we are opened to the light which is within. We see in the middle of this temple the presence of God, however, God appears to us. Some see light, some see angels, some see Jesus. Whatever image moves through your subconscious mind, is true. And in front of this image, there is a white marble slab. And you see with your inner eye, as you yourself walk up to the slab, and your clothing miraculously falls away. And you lie down upon your back on this slab which when you lie down upon it is soft as a feather. And now this image of God, whatever the image is, Is one likened to Jesus himself, putting his hands up above and over you? And a great ray of light emanates from this power, from these hands, from this God of your understanding. And angels surround you and pour forth into your body a holy medicine, a divine elixir. This divine elixir begins at the top of your head and moves through your brain. This divine elixir moves through your eyes and moves through your ears. This divine elixir moves through your nose and moves through your skull. This divine elixir moves through your hair. This divine elixir moves through your neck. This divine elixir moves through your tongue. This divine elixir moves through your mouth. This divine elixir moves through your throat, your esophagus, every bone, every organ, every muscle and the blood itself, every cell breathes in, drinks in, this divine electric spirit of God moving through you, regenerating every cell, revitalizing every cell, moving down now into your torso, into your heart, into your lungs, into your liver, into your pancreas, into your abdomen, into every cell and every organ Every bone, this light now moves down through your arms, your upper arms, your elbows, your lower arm. You relax with this light moving through you, giving new life, new energy, repair to every organ. Your breasts, your skin, your bones, your spine, your cervix your vagina, your buttocks, your penis, every part of your body healed, repaired, the cells drinking in this energy, this life, God's most holy restoration of your physical self, moving down now through your thighs, moving down, rushing through the blood, revitalizing the blood, the knees, the lower legs, the ankles, the feet, the toes, the fingers, the hands, the skin. Feel every organ, every cell, drinking in new breath, new life, new light, new health. As now we dedicate our bodies And we apologize to ourselves for stress we have put on our bodies for ways that we have not fed it and nourished it and taken care of it the way we might. And we appreciate in this moment the precious gift it is. And it is as though we are standing looking at our bodies on this slab. And we give thanks for the body and we commit ourselves to its nourishment and its nurturance and its care. And we receive this healing. And we realize that we are spirits, the body a suit of clothes, a priceless treasure. And we feel ourselves inhabiting it in a new space whereby we realize we are children of God. And now the hand of God is upon you and you are lifted up and you place in God's hands your burdens and you place in God's hands your weakness and you place in God's hands your past and you place in God's hands your present and you place in God's hands your future and you place in God's hands your defects and you place in God's hands your despair and you place in God's hands your loneliness and you place in God's hands your strength and you place in God's hands your successes And you place in God's hands your intelligence. And you place in God's hands your talents. And all is now surrendered. All is now surrendered to love to use for love's purposes. You surrender more deeply, more willingly, more consciously than ever before all that you have and all that you are. And God himself accepts the invitation. And in this moment, you are lifted. You are lifted from your weakness into your strength. You are lifted from your past into your presence. You are lifted from your body into your spirit. You are lifted from your guilt into your innocence. You are lifted from your littleness into your magnitude. You are lifted from your chains and you are lifted from your prison and you are lifted from your hatred and you are lifted from your selfishness and you are lifted from your narcissism and you are lifted from all those things which have held you back. For on this night you have remembered who you are and why you are here. And you shall no longer be who you used to be. For you ascend tonight to who you are. And now, we take this moment to think of one person. One person with whom there is difficulty one person with whom the unity has been rent, in which some painful separation of judgment has entered into the field. And in this moment, we surrender this relationship to God and we pray that it be lifted to divine right order. We place it on the altar, and pray that it be lifted high above all the walls that would divide us. May a great wave of forgiveness come upon us. May they see only the innocence in you, and may you see only the innocence in them. we lay down the burden of our judgment and attack and defense. That now this relationship might be reborn. Come as a naked newborn child and allow them to be the same to you. The effects of all mistakes now nullified, for they were only illusions. In this moment of truth, you are united as one. And now gaze into their soul and see their innocence. And now gaze beyond them. And with your inner eye gaze into the innocence and the brilliance and the glory and the love of every person in this room. And now extend your gaze, your inner eye beyond this room And gaze into the glory and the innocence and the love and the light of every soul in Los Angeles. And now extend your inner eye to gaze upon the light and the glory and the love and the innocence of the billions and billions of souls who inhabit this earth with you, allow yourself to be amazed as you have extended your perception beyond what the physical eyes can see. See the unspeakable truth and inimitable beauty that is the truth of who we are. And notice that the light in each of us is one with the light in all of us. Allow yourself to be amazed. And now you have assumed your function. You have remembered your purpose. You have remembered who you are. And you have remembered why you are here. May angels come upon us and be posted around our mind, conscious and unconscious. That the divine imprint of these images might be upon us firmly founded and rooted. Never more to depart. That from this point forward, when you see anyone, you shall see with your inner eye. You shall look past their mistakes to their innocence. You shall look past their shortcomings to their beauty. And in your presence, they shall be reminded. And they will see a light in you that you have chosen to see in them. And they will wonder at your power. And they will wonder at your glory and they will be grateful for the miracles that occur in their lives because you see the truth in them. Such a holy night this is, that together we are reminded There is a life beyond this world. There is a light beyond this darkness. There is a truth beyond these illusions. There is a glory beyond this chaos. And tonight we place ourselves in service to it. That we might become invokers of it that we might become midwives of it, that we might become deliverers of it, that in our presence all that is not it shall dissolve. For such is our task. Such is our purpose. Such is our mission. Such is the power and the glory of God, and hallelujah, God lives in us. Gently prepare yourself, for when you open your outer eye, you shall be changed. And let us remember that on this night, we pray that God come upon us. And as we see in the future how these changes are manifest, let us remember to give thanks. Sending our love and our best wishes to one another. Sending our love and our gratitude to Tal and to this place and praying that it be blessed. Together, we say, Amen.
0: is produced by Mike Burns, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, and music is by Alex Vetter. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Podcast, and join us there.